This episode of the Good Ship Brothership is brought to you by Sending It. Send it? Sending It is what we do here. Head on over to www. Are you silly? <laughs> what? <laughs> Did I say that right? Yeah. Go back and listen to it, you goose. No. You know what I'm going to do instead? I'm going to send it. What is a quaalude? Drugs. Really? Yeah. Well, look it up. Yeah. Welcome to the Good Ship Brothership, episode... 16. 16. I'm one of your brothers, Jason. Wow. Me- <laughs> Metha. No, it says Quaalude. Yeah. <laughs> Methaqua- <laughs> Methaqualone sold under the brand name Quaalude and sometimes stylized Quaalude oh. in the US and Mandrax in the UK and South Africa is a sedative and hypnotic medication. It is a member of the Quinazolone class. I think that was from The Godfather. Yeah, that's one of the characters. Don Quinazoni oh. Leone. Oh <laughs> Quinazoni. That's that chef mom like. No, I said Quinazoni. Gennaro Quizzoloni. <laughs> Inventor of the Twizzoloni. And this is the other brother, Grant. Hey, everybody. You all probably know that. Um, I assume. Let's start by saying the media we're, we're consuming. I just want to. I just feel like it's a very rich time in my life for what I've been consuming, even though I don't think I have a ton of uh, free time. <coughs> I'm working full-time in the summer, though, so I get to listen to a lot of music, a lot of podcasts, not a lot of good shit brotherships. What have you been listening to and playing and things? Because I'm actually curious, because I don't know what games you've been playing, really. Um, I've been, for games, for, well, I'll just, for book consumption, I'm battling still battling my way through as i lay dying by william faulkner which is like it's very it's very good and it would be a lot easier if i had more powers of concentration slash just took some time to like sit more often but it's a very good book highly recommend it um we'll probably never review it you never know it's not a long book it's 200 pages Uh, about a family who basically bury their dead mother and it's narrated by each of the family members in turn in first person Weird. Uh, for Maybe like differing some some of these these chapters can be five pages some are like literally one line yeah um so that's what i've been reading for games i've been playing bloodborne and dark souls 3 no broken age oh yeah sorry i've yeah i've been motoring through broken age um there's nothing there's nothing like a good double fine puzzle adventure game there's there's so much. It's like sitting in bed and reading first a book. First one you've slash... played, but that's okay. Huh? First one you've played, but that's okay. No, it's not. What did you play? Fight me. Are you serious? Yeah. Are... No, you're not serious. Yeah. Come at me. Grim Fandango. That's not Double Fine. That's Lucas Arts. Well, it's by the. It's by, by Tim Schafer. Okay, a Tim Schafer. Wow. He's I'm just so one sorry. man. He's just I'm one so man. Sorry. They're different studios. You dip shizzle. Whoa. Censor that. Maybe. Um, but yeah, so I've been playing that. Great game. A lot of fun. Still not as good as Grim Fan Dango, but you know what then is. Then what is, yeah. Uh, but yeah, and I've uh, New Game Plus in Dark Souls 3 and just a new game in Bloodborne. Uh, I just I beat Father Gascoigne first try today. Oh, he's such a good boss. It was really fun. Guess, yeah. what, I, guess what I'm really good at now in Parrying. Bloodborne? Parrying. Good job. I parry the crap out of everyone. That's how you got to do. Pow, pow, pow. At least you're not backstabbing like scum of the year. I don't know Derek if you can. Bowman. Can you do that in Bloodborne though? Yeah, I think so. Well, I don't know. I don't think that you can actually. Google it maybe while I talk, just for fun, because I'm curious. And in terms of um, music, I we just discussed this, yeah. so I should have left off. But been listening to Brothers in Arms by Dire Straits. Like, that's it. And I. It was one of those things, I found, uh, I got a great haul of CDs from, hey, this is, you know what you should take tomorrow? Oh, I've been listening to them more to totally. hip, actually. So I found, uh, in Walmart, I found KG Elephant's debut album, or CD, when I say album, I mean CDs, uh, I found their debut album for $5, which is like, just five bucks, such, five bucks, five bucks. That's such what my a steal. says when they play the lottery. Such a steal. Uh, and Purple Rain by Prince. 
which was $5. And then I found Road Apples by the Tragically Hip for $5. Road Apples sounds like something and, you'd say and uh, be like, that was the name of my first album. <laughs> I know, yeah. It, what an ugly cover too, eh? It's not as bad Looks as uh, absolutely Dan, terrible. SMA. Yes, it is. No. Yeah. Look, look at, what are these Scrabble tiles? At least I can... And then at it's, least it's not it's like... Scrabble tiles, a postcard, and then, oh look, more Scrabble tiles, but from my friend's but game, because we didn't have enough letters off. to spell out. Anyway. Um... But, and then I found uh, Brothers and I Was Bug, Dire Straits, for $8. Yeah. And uh, I've been just loving that album. It's got a lot more soul and a lot more relevance than I thought it would. Yeah. And, uh, like, amazing, just the right amount of, because it was put out in 1985, which, uh, you know, for reasons known to us, I, is a year that I'm sort of obsessed with, I guess. Um and uh, it's got ju- just got a dash of that '80s like cheese yeah. in it, um, not too much, but not not too much at all. And the guitar playing's like absolutely amazing. Mark is phenomenal. Um, and yeah, it's just a really fun album. And I've been listening to uh, Tom Waits. Um, hmm. I got a Tom Waits uh, debut album, "Closing Time." I listened to a little bit, which is kind of like a raunchy, like uh, piano-driven, uh, pubby pub music kind of atmosphere but it is it is really fun i've been listening to it while yeah what about um, you well i have four games i've kind of been all over the place i haven't had a ton of free time lately but i've also really been trying to motor through some stuff um i'm like three quarters of the way through the original dead space which i'm really loving but it's kind of dragging on in like the third act and i feel like it's getting a little played out so i'm not sure if i'll finish it but i'll try to i started ori in the blind forest which is just like a tour de force in uh phenomenal visuals and like really tight platforming um shame on me i started with a keyboard and then just regretted that and switched to a controller yeah you can't do that no um and it's a tough game like not yeah, right off the bat, but once same. you get into it, it gets yeah. pretty tough. And then... I've also been going through Paladins and TF2. Now, I know we're getting a lot of banter here, but it's okay because it's good banter because I haven't told you this at all. Um, I recently booted up TF2, Team Fortress 2, very popular online shooter for the first time. Sugar. Couldn't figure out how to uh, ban voice chat and then ended up basically rage quitting the game because of these kids who were playing with me. Their whole squad was called, uh, like, their squad uh, call sign was Dank. Oh. And there was one guy who was uh, Dank Memes. One guy was called Dank Lemons, which I did. And there was another guy, I think, who was just called, like, Dank. Um, and they were all on the chat, like, Dank Lemons, I need you to cover me down in the sewers. And they were just talking, making these really... Um, making these jokes about autism that i mean could be insensitive but they weren't even like insensitive like a little bit funny like you know how bad but funny they were just like what like wow you're so edgy like clearly an idubs fan straight from the womb um and so yeah i basically rage quit tf2 because of them wow but it was i mean i had to go to bed also (laughs) that's what you told yourself basically it was 6 p.m For books, I I'm really going to bed. I sadly have really stalled out on uh, 1984 by George Orwell. I I think I'm just gonna skip. I was talking to Spencer and Dav, who I met over last weekend. Um, Hello, if you're listening, they're not. Um, why? Why wouldn't they? Because they still haven't accepted my uh, friend request thing on Steam. They gave me their Steam IDs, and then well, actually, are they on Facebook? Yeah, but they don't. Are actually, they, did you like how I said? Are they, on, are they Facebook? on Facebook? They don't have internet right now, so you know. I can forgive that. What kind of excuse um, is that, yeah. honestly? But I was talking to them about 1984, and they said they also skipped that big, long section where he's reading the book, so I was like, well, maybe I should just... It's kind of important. Like, it's... I don't know. It's it's not... Like, I just the read yeah. it. Like, um, I read it. But having stalled out on that, I just went back to The Road by Cormac McCarthy, and I've just been motoring through that. Like, I'm more than halfway through it now. I've just yeah. been reading it on my breaks. And, like, I think doesn't get much better. I think the it. secret to that book is that it's the perfect, like, distillation of his writing style. Yeah. Not, not, mm, the setting is the perfect setting for his style. Oh. And, like, <laughs> oh. 
The setting is stark and wild, which lends itself to his kind of savage um, descriptions. Uh, the characters are few, which makes it easier to read his style of writing dialogue. Yeah, um, yeah just a fantastic book. And then music, I've been going through, listening to a lot of Cage the Elephant, Kendrick Lamar, some Tom Petty, some Tragically Hip. Uh, listen to a lot of The Killers today. And then what I've been looking, listening to that's new is uh, Shadows, the 2012 album by Sean James and the Shapeshifters. Who recommended them to you? Um, actually, the way I found out about them was in the trailer for The Last of Us 2. Ellie's playing that song. I was uh, like, I that see. can't be an original song. Looked it up. It's from Sean James and the Shapeshifters' okay. 2012 album, Shadows. So it's definitely interesting. No verdict yet. Um, okay. Maybe we'll review it. I don't know. Okay, that's enough of that. Let's just Backstabs and Bloodborne can be performed by holding R2, charging up your heavy attack, and releasing it into the back of the enemy. The enemy will be brief. <laughs> Why do you say into the back of the enemy? Like, where else is it going to be? No, wait. No, you're, not, you're not letting me finish here. The enemy will be briefly staggered, allowing you to position yourself directly behind it and press R1, oh, performing so, the backstab. Okay, so you have so to only stun them and then, Which then seems weird, because a charged R2 should... Uh, anyways. Yeah. We're getting a little litigious. We're off in the weeds. Why is one of the people always ask, what is the cleric beast? What do you mean? Who would ask that? Like, I don't know. what a strange question. That's like a Jeopardy question. Who is the, what is the cleric beast? I'm pretty stoked about this episode. It's been too long since we recorded, but I feel pretty good. I feel pretty loose. Um, How about you? I feel like we have, uh, we have some interesting stuff to talk about today, which we, I don't think we've even said yet. We're like 12 minutes in. Um, which reminds me, I recently looked at uh, that game 12 Minutes. You remember kind of funny did that Let's Play? Where like cops are coming oh, through yeah, 12 Minutes? Right. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure it's still not out. I was like, I would love to play that game. It looks sick. It was literally just the one guy making it. Yeah. But he had it playable like a couple yeah, hours ago. but it was ago. only part of it. I guess. <laughs> I need to get better at doing that. Welcome aboard okay. the Good Ship Brothership, the only pot arts podcast that covers music literature, film, movies, and squeaky ducks. I, I'd like to go back and, like, I'd like to, no. I'd like to do no. the spiel right now, just to show you how it should go, but go I'm ahead. not it's even, not better. It's no, not, go ahead. I'm not go even gonna okay. let okay. you, okay. Uh, fine, fine. What was I going to Google? Well, here's the thing, Jason. When you say the spiel, the spiel correctly, it ends off with "What are we talking about today?" What are we talking about today? Oh wow, look at that! And it also you inter- introduce us. But we already were introduced, so that's why I didn't again. Oh, I bet it is. Yeah, it's not because you have absolutely no idea what you're. I'm doing. the loosest tool we're in the shed. We're talking about uh, an Don't album. Show. We're talking about Cleopatra, the second album by the Lumineers, which is like the third second album. That we've we reviewed talked about this context. year, I think. What were the others? Well, 68. Yeah. And maybe it's just Alex Cameron? Was Lord? that his second album? Alex Cameron's? What, the one that's coming out? Oh, well, we haven't talked about it yet. No, I know. There's a lot of sophomore yeah. albums. This we're, yeah. Anyway, we're talking about something new, something old. We're talking about Cleopatra by the Lumineers, which was out last year or something. I'll look it up. And The Shining, which was out ages ago. Oh, do you have it there? Can and it's look at probably like very out of date information. Uh, Twenty sixteen, yeah, April last year. Good thing it wasn't in our discussions for best albums. Why didn't I come across that? Because I did lots of research for best albums. That's it wasn't weird. on the list. Interesting. Huh. Foreshadowing. Interesting. So grab the puppet. Let's flip the puppet. Let's talk about what we're going to talk about. I think. Uh, I feel like the album art for I feel like Cleopatra on the cover looks like the looks puppet face up quite bit yeah yeah so I feel face like if it's face, face up, up we'll talk about the yeah. Lumineers. Uh, that's uh, we have to reflip that yeah, folks it fouled up got hung up <laughs> on the mic stand oh face we're down. talking about the shining the I shining my rib pop that was a little weird okay just okay. ignore it keep going uh, why don't you start with the shining I have more notes about the Lumineers. all right so I mean I I feel like a lot of people now obviously know of The Shining. They know the meme of Jack Nicholson with his face stuck through the door. They know the here's Johnny thing. I mean, that's all I knew until very um, recently. 
Yeah, I know. There's I, like I'm not disparaging anybody. So yeah. I was just going to use that as a preamble to say okay. I'm going to read a description of it. Yes, please do. Uh, the Shining is a 1980 psychological horror film produced and directed by Stanley Kubrick and co-written with novelist Diane Johnson. The film is based on Stephen King's 1977 novel, The Shining. The Shining stars Jack Nicholson as Jack Torrance, an aspiring writer and recovering alcoholic who accepts a position as the off-season caretaker of the historic Overlook Hotel in the Colorado Rockies. His family accompanies him on the job, including his young son, Danny Torrance, played by Danny Lloyd. Interesting they have the same first It names. is very interesting. I wonder if it's for um, uh, reference for the kid. Yeah, I also wonder if in the book... Hold on. Danny Lloyd, who possesses The Shining, an array of psychic abilities that allowed Danny to see the hotel's horrific past. The hotel had a previous caretaker named Charles Grady. Getting, wait, is this getting spoily? Spoilery? Uh, no, like this, is, okay. this is just like... He hears about okay, this when yeah. he's getting interviewed I'm for the sorry. Continue. Okay. The hotel had a previous caretaker named Charles Grady, played by Philip Stone, where in a manner of cabin... In a manner of cabin. Like cabin fever? Yeah. He gets cabin fever, kills his wife and two daughters. After a winter storm leaves the Torrance's snowbound, supernatural forces inhabiting the hotel influence Jack's sanity, leaving his wife, played by Shelley Duval, and son in incredible danger. Supporting roles are provided by Scatman Crothers. There's no way he's not the African-American. Yeah, Barry Nelson and Jackson, Joe Turkell, and Tony Burton. I think Joe Turkell is, uh, was the guy who's in. Jeez, oh, he doesn't have a picture. Blade though. Runner. He's ninety years old. Good for yep. him. Doctor Eldon Tyrell. Good for him. Okay, so that's that's the everybody's heard about The Shining. I yeah. think as a film. Now uh, let's preface this by saying neither you nor I have read the book. Are horror movie fans or have read the book or have read the book? Yeah, that's correct. Um. Although I haven't watched enough to formulate an opinion one way or another, so it's not that I dislike them. I've I watched a couple. Them. They're really not my thing. Um, kind of, a lot of them kind of leave you feeling like icky, in, yeah. from my experience. Um, and there are proponents of them who will say, you know, oh, it's great. You know, it, horror movies are all about the joy of life and like being alive, but that's just not true. true. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. Okay, so. The Shining, um, directed by the famous Stanley Kubrick, directed uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey, would probably be his uh, other most famous film. What yes. Uh, Full Metal Jacket, uh, Clockwork Orange, all this stuff. Vi- like, one of the most famous and recognizable directors of all, all time, I would say. Yeah. Like, you, everybody knows the eyes, like, pried open thing from the Clockwork Orange yeah. with the... Um, and and Kubrick's voice comes through like really loud and clear in this film and kind of lends itself to the story in a really nice way in a way that I think he leveraged in many of his films um he's got a very clean uh and f- feel free to jump in yeah. with any agreements or disagreements he's got a very clean like antiseptic kind of uh disinfected look to his films where everything is really evenly brightly lit in for the most part but what i or would just say, really or just really beautifully lit what i would say is it's neutral in a very nice way in that his shooting oftentimes doesn't add to or take away from actors performances when i think of antiseptic i think of like a little bit faded washed out color palette just when you say that word it's quite vivid but not oversaturated his his Shooting often looks like Apple commercials. Like, good Apple. <laughs> like, you know, but you know what I mean? Like, it's a lot of white. Like with the Mac it's and the ve- PC where it's he's, like, very, running the walls. It's very yeah. clean. Yeah. His yeah. shooting style is very clean. and It's you, neutral in a good You way. were saying something there a minute ago. You didn't go the way I thought you were going to, but it, it would have been nice if you had. Um, Sorry. Where, yeah, you should feel bad. Where the the way he shoots the, the film doesn't often tell you how to think. Yeah. Whereas with a lot of directors now, they're like, oh, shaky cam, you know, action sequence. Oh, no, you know, something yeah. very violent's going on. And then a slow drifting shot will tell you that the character's in contemplation about his life. Um, or close shots will tell you that, you know, something secretive's going down. Or that floating shot for like 30 seconds at the end of The Force Awakens will tell you absolutely nothing. Yeah. Um, 
uh, Kubrick's method does not cater to that at all. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say. No. Uh, he he's ma- a masterful orchestrator of image and color and um, balance. What's the what's another word for balance? Symmetry. Yeah. Symmetry within a frame. His uh, his framings are really nice. Almost all the time you look at them, they are very symmetrical. And he was famous for how how much of a perfectionist he was. We talked about this uh, before you and I, and uh, and it does show through. I think in this movie, uh, I'd like to say also Jack Nicholson is completely underrated as an actor. I think. I think his performance in this is like yeah. really, really good. And he, what else have you seen him in? Uh, Easy Rider. I've seen him in, which he was good in, and then uh, The Departed, in which he's fantastic. I've never watched The Departed. I and, feel like that's a bit of a gaping hole. And like a, a selection of other films. I know he's like very highly regarded by film geeks, but he's a bit of a B tier compared to the Who's Who or whatever. Yeah, like I don't know. Jo- well, Johnny Depp can even be yeah. a B actor. Like Tom Cruise is like the A lister, yeah. and Brad Pitt, you know, George no. Clooney. I feel like he's more like buddies with like Stellan Skarsgård. Yeah, but uh, Jack Nicholson's awesome in this. I love how he does that. Like very, his smile is like stretched, and it like oh, he looks oh, like him the Joker. In the, well, he played the Joker, Jason, in Tim Burton's. No, what? the one before that, I think I have seen that one too. He's. Fantastic. And the one with George Clooney? Was that before Tim Burton? Let's look this up. Because we're ignorant on old Batman. Or nah. I'm ignorant on old. Thanks, Jay Flack. I'm ignorant on old uh, Batman films. But he looks like the Joker, like, all the time. And it's a little bit. Uh, uh, there he is. Yeah, he looks. You wouldn't really know the difference. Um, he was fan- He was phenomenal as the Joker. Like, honestly, easily, this, like, him and then obviously. Uh, Heath Ledger. Heath Ledger is better, but seriously, he's really good. Um, okay. Probably because he just smiled. But I love how he does that kind of, like, clean-cut look and, yeah. like, acting. Not not crazy. You just made it kind of, like, crazy face, but, like, well, thank you very much, sir. And he's got, like, that yeah. old-timey, like, kind of cadence and way of speaking. But he still just, something about his appearance, he looks a little unhinged it's the big <laughs> forehead his eyebrows that are just like yeah uh but he's fantastic uh, i think that uh shelly who plays wendy his wife she uh she looks weird she yeah. looks she looks like a claymation yeah for she, sure. like which can at sometimes i found distracting from her actual performance i know that's kind of like a terrible thing to say yeah like she looked weird and it distracted from her performance really? but like she's just got buggy eyes and stringy hair and like massive crazy teeth i know and i mean it seems like her hair's all stringy and greasy and it seems like she's like they've uh, made her more pathetic than i wanted her yeah. to be and it's this isn't even about like the bactyl test and strength of women but yeah but she i don't mean she's just really needlessly pathetic Mm-hmm. And it's not even that she has to be this crazy empowered character. It's just like maybe quiver a it's little bit less. It's just like a little. She can be a little too pathetic. Yeah. In, Stop shaking. It's okay. In times and like that. That was that ha- did distract yeah. me the first time I saw the movie. Distracted me uh, when we watched it as well. Um, also, the set. I I need to know where they shot this because is this an actual hotel? Can I look it's, it up while you talk? Yeah, that way yeah you're of not course. Distracted. Because look up uh, the Shining uh, yeah, film lo- film yeah. location. Um, because this set is absolutely gorgeous, and it if it's not in the studio, although the film was shot almost entirely in the studio at Elstree Studios in Hertfordshire, England, where the hotel interior was constructed, the exterior of the Overlook Hotel is the Timberline Lodge. Mount Hood in the Hood River area of Northern Oregon. Wow, I'm going to look at the Timberline Lodge now. It's so weird. That Keep doing real place. In that case, the sets are so amazingly constructed. Like they've got different sections, like a Native American, a Native themed section, and various different um, 
differently decorated like art deco and then the massive ballroom the gold ballroom yeah that was the set now that would all be interior but it's incredible i know but that's stuff that they constructed that's stuff that like kubrick would have overseen every day sure the the sets are just now that i know that that's not like an actual because you'd never oh they have free (laughs) wi-fi because you would you would never know that it wasn't an actual ski resort thing yeah. You know, because it it's so well put together and it's so convincing as that and so beautiful. Uh so, some uh some moments haven't perhaps uh perhaps, perhaps. some moments haven't perhaps what? Some moments <laughs> haven't aged that well, maybe. Um I, I put down here Wendy's uh attempted bathroom escape. Yeah. Uh, I forget what exactly was bothering me about that. What was it? Because it, this is what happens when we make notes and then record like Ow. a week later. So for, I'm sorry, I'm just looking up on booking.com, this lodge where The Shining was shot. Mm-hmm. Um, in December to stay for four nights would, for one adult, four nights would start at $737. A night? So or for four nights? Uh for four nights, I guess. That's not that bad. Close to 200 bucks starting in December. Yeah, I guess that's not too bad. No. Let's go. Can you imagine how weird that would be? It was to walk two outside. Times in the last 24 hours. Walk outside and be like, yeah. Turn around and be like, <laughs> it's a very it's very highly rated. It seems like it's an excellent. So if you're uh, in the Oregon area, this episode Looking of the Good Brothership is brought to you by the, the Timberline, Timberline Lodge. Lodge. <laughs> Timberline Lodge. I'm uh, at home when you're not. I think uh I think also that going back to Kubrick's obvious, he's an auteur in every sense of the word. Yeah. Um, the editing of it adds so much to the tension. The cuts, when he chooses to edit, the rhythm that he establishes, it always makes you feel kind of powerless, but not like... Like, you know, some movies now, it's like you're on an amusement park ride. It's just like, wow, wow, like... Cut, 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 cut. Here's something. There's something else. There's something else. Kubrick's movements are fluid and smooth, and they always feel natural, except when they're not supposed to. They always his edits are always impeccable. From you know what I saw, I I have down here. um, Is Wendy annoying? We can talk about that uh, during your review. uh, I have here elements are either stereotypical or have become stereotypical elements of the film and that's like another discussion certain certain elements just in the horror aspect of it I think and the storytelling aspects of it have like for instance there's a sage um, psychically enabled African American old African American man and like that does yeah. seem a little bit like Open your eyes, son. You know. Here's like, what I think to an extent. Though. And now the part of the show uh, where a young white man dates uh, <laughs> an old black man. Open your eyes, son. <laughs> so disappointed right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but as I think we'll see in our next review, and this is more foreshadowing, I think sometimes cliches, when done well, are still excellent yeah like i'm yeah i'm saying like i wonder if these things were cliche or if they've become cliche because of their use in this yeah uh overall for me i think it's a very excellent film both you and i um uh the first time i watched the shining i watched it like in two separate sittings and finished it on my phone at work in the break room on my lunch break or supper break and was like just quaking in my boots and this time when the film finished at, at like 3 a.m., pitch black, you and I are sitting there with the sound cranked on our headphones, took one short intermission in the middle. You and I kind of turned to each other and we're like, eh. Neither of us were really scared. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Neither, you know. It, it, the film presented itself, you know, just in a different way that time. I'm not convinced it's a true horror okay, film, though. Please stop footsieing me. I think it's more of like a psychological thriller. It's I, I. That's what I'm kind of thinking as well. Like there are definite horror elements. Yeah, um, of course. But it's Kubrickian, and that is a word. I know that but sounds it really. Be? Yeah. 
it's he's ubiquitous. It's, it's Kubrickian. It is Kubrickian he's in the, the sense of like uh, the you know wave of blood. Yeah, roll. like like that's not something you see in a normal. How horror many Kubrick film films is... have you seen? Because this is I should note this is One, the two, first three. time I've seen a Stanley Kubrick film. Maybe just three. This two thousand one and Clockwork, Clockwork Orange. Orange. I gotta watch. Shiny? Yeah, I, that's that's all I can think of right now. Yeah, um, but I feel like that's enough for me to say that. Uh, but I, I think it's a really great movie. I yeah. think it's it's it is really tense, edgier seat stuff. Kay, can you get your foot like my foot's in the middle? No, it is yes. like absolutely yes. not. Yes. Look, look where the mic keep ends. it. Halfway. Halfway. You've got Halfway. so much more room behind you. Well, Just you want me to... your chair back like one inch. Do you understand how sore my back is? I don't care. I don't want you tickling my feet with your feet. Well, I don't want your feet to be tickled. Uh, I think it's a great edgier seat uh, thriller. Uh, I think it would be suitable for almost anybody, regardless of whether or not you're a horror enthusiast. Young children? I mean, it's... Yeah. I mean, it definitely has tense moments. But nothing nightmarish, incredibly nightmarish, barring one fairly just, disturbing scene. The the one where we both got kind of scared. Yeah, yeah. Which isn't actually like in any way um, violent or grotesque at all. Yeah. Th- and that's the beauty of the film is that a lot of the stuff when you think about it, you see it, and you're now you're stealing what I'm going to talk about. No, I'm not. I'm just that smart. I'm almost like you. Okay. Anyway, I really enjoyed it as much as I remembered enjoying it the first time. Uh, I think it, it'll be something that I'll return to probably when yeah. I just want like a little bit of a chill to creep up my spine, you know? Yeah. And that's my review. Beauty. Now, mine will be a little bit shorter both because you took a while, which is fine, but also because I do agree We talked with... for like 10 minutes yeah, at yeah, the yeah, beginning. Yeah. Because I do agree with quite a bit of what you say. Um, so, I mean, most of the things I don't cover that you cover, I mean, I just kind of concur with because a lot of it was... Uh, correct and true. I think the first thing I noticed about The Shining, uh, or the first thing I want to also, talk I'm really, I just want to say, I'm really looking forward to hearing what you're going to say, but because yeah. you've, we don't know um, each other. Play. I think the movie is actually more unnerving as it sits with you. I think in the following days, it scared me more than it scared me at the time. <laughs> really? Yeah. Like I finished it and I was like, hmm. Well, that was interesting. Um, but I think really good art of any kind stays with you whether you're just like humming a good song not like a crappy song that you stuck in your head yeah or um you know i think with a good game you go back to the characters or the mechanics or you crave like that hotline miami score chasing or whatever i just think any form of art kind of stays with you and so it is with this i found myself coming back to it mentally for days and days and days thinking about these scenes and these shots um and his fantastic lighting, and it's been said by um, others that good cinematography is the cinematography you don't notice. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily agree with that, but what I think is often perhaps truer is that good directing is directing that you don't notice. And I think that that is really the good case. Good editing with this. is editing that yeah. you don't notice. I think that what Stanley Kubrick did, and I mean this in the best, like most complimentary way possible is I think he got out of the way of the story and the cast and the plot and sequence of events. Um, And I think the movie is, like, so much better for it. Um, I've been trying to clean out my speech. Listening to IGN's podcast, listening to Marty Sleva, good guy, Yeah. um, really bothers me how much he says, um, like I just did. Yeah. Unintentionally. Because... How much do I say, um? I don't know. I guess I'll pay attention to that. Yeah, pay attention to me. I'll pay attention to you. Yeah. The thing that maybe stuck out to me most in the film is how much he has mastered sound. There's this one scene, my favorite scene in the whole movie by far, fairly early on. The son is riding his tricycle around oh, as yeah, he often yeah, does. Yeah. And it's this low uh, shot like a... that follows him. Isn't that a great um, shot? It's a chase shot, like what you're using like the Fast and the Furious, but this kid but on the tricycle. And going through the hotel, which I just like to say exactly what a kid would do yeah in a huge abandoned hotel if you had a little pedal like trike i wouldn't so i'd be spooked but that's just me but he rides over this variety of surfaces specifically from uh hardwood to carpet to hardwood to tile and stuff like that yeah 
and the whole scene is totally silent except for the sound of the wheels on whatever surface he's on. Yeah, that's so you hear hear the sound of him rolling on the hardwood, and then it goes to the carpet and it's just muffled. And when you hear this quiet sound, what it reminds me of really is so I get up early to go to work. I get up at like five fifteen, and when I get stuff out in the morning. Every sound is so amplified, and there's a certain tension to it, even when I'm like putting the kettle on or whatever, because you're trying to be quiet. And I think it really just lends to this tense atmosphere. And he's paid so much attention to the finer points of sound design that it really just makes the hairs on the back of your neck stand up because there's this air of secrecy and intimacy and and this kind of disturbing peacefulness if that makes sense well i think now now that we're talking about that shot in particular i think maybe what that's inferring is the the hotel or the forces there following him yeah or watching him and listening you know which when you think about it that way yeah puts that shot in an entirely different and that just sequence in an entirely different light which might not be what was intended but very well could be also i'd just like to say that kubrick's editing in particular from cut to cut you know scene to scene yeah is like one of the things that he's praised most for like universally as as he should be yeah i also think that uh characters are mostly interesting i totally agree with you about uh the wife being do you think she's annoying no but i didn't like her character i didn't find her annoying but like here's the thing i think that and i mentioned this a little bit earlier I think people get way too bent out of shape about all these female characters needing to be strong. I think there is a need for strong women in film, but I don't think women in film have to uniformly be strong. Just like I don't think the, men in film need to uniformly be strong. I, the The real problem is just unrealistic portrayals yeah. of people in films. Yeah. Like, whether it's, you know, the... Uh, the superhero male superheroes uh whether it's the female sex objects whether it's the really dumbed down stupid dull-headed men in films uh or the you know women who need men these these are all problems that you know either need to be uh addressed and haven't been or are just being ignored in favor of more popular problems but what i was saying mister is that um I was adding to the discussion. Well, I don't think that that always needs to be the case. She's also just unnecessarily a milk toast in a way that just doesn't add to the movie at all. And I feel like if she were maybe a little bit more stoic, it actually would have been creepier because nothing lets out attention like a character freaking out as opposed to if the character was merely a little bit jumpy or skittish. I feel like the viewing experience would be creepier. Um... I also found the whole twisted reality thing a little bit difficult without getting too spoilery, even though I'm not convinced you really can spoil the movie just because, you know, it is what it is. Mm -hmm. Um, There is so much, like, if you actually stop to try and rationalize it, (laughs) you end up basically just having the whole movie be like, all right, it's the psychoses or whatever. Like, oh, that's interesting. Go ahead, go ahead with that. Well, we're not too far. Off. I'm just because I I knew that Stephen King, who obviously wrote The Shining, the novel, uh, disapproved of one of Kubrick's. the smartest looking men. Yeah, that's a pretty old one too. Two, I was two years old when that picture was taken. Um, said uh, in an interview with the BBC, King also criticized Shelley Duvall's performance in the film, stating, "quote She's basically just there to scream and be stupid, and that's not the woman that I wrote about." There you go. That's, That's just what we're saying. Yeah. yeah, I just wish she had more of a head on her shoulders. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, I think what we were talking about with Jack Nicholson—the reason he's so creepy—I was thinking about that too. And I think these are really interesting. I just—I'm sorry to interrupt. Really interesting, like noted discrepancies between the book and the film, just in terms of tone and like. Yeah. Anyway, I think um, at his core, Jack Nicholson just has. Uh, what Gregor Ehrlich from Wiretap would call a distinct lack of affability, where he just seems so incredibly untrustworthy. He's really, like, stiff. Just so... He seems so, like, oily (laughs) that you just can't trust him. And then... I think my... Probably my final thought would be that um, 
the implication and the eerie peacefulness, the calm before the storm kind of thing, is what breeds tension so wonderfully. And I think that's what sets this apart from a horror film where you're horrified. Um, I think a lot of times there's really no tension in fear. That's like the release. But what this movie has really mastered is that tension leading up to when you would be really freaked out just for like two hours or however long it is. I think it's a bit more than two hours. Um, you just, you have this deep unsettling impression that something's really not right. Um, and yeah, overall, I think it's fantastic. My only real complaint would be what I touched on earlier, which is, whoa, he looks like a cool fellow. Shout out to Scatman Crothers, the jazz musician. Um, my only real criticism, I think, would be that it's a little bit too difficult to separate reality from uh, fantasy. I really like that. And I feel like you could be a little bit like, wow, that's deep, man. But I also feel like it just cheapens both when you can't really tell the difference. Let, let, me, let me read you this uh, quote from, again, Stephen King talking about the film The Shining by Stanley Kubrick. Um, full yeah. Parts of the film are chilling, charged with a relentlessly claustrophobic terror, but others fall flat. Not that religion has to be involved in horror, but a visceral skeptic such as Kubrick just couldn't grasp the sheer inhuman evil of the Overlook Hotel. So he looked instead for evil in the characters and made the film into a domestic tragedy with only vaguely supernatural overtones. Well, not, maybe not vague. That was the basic flaw, because he couldn't believe. He, had, he couldn't make the film believable to others. What's basically wrong with Kubrick's ver version of The Shining is that it's a film by a man who thinks too little, who thinks too much and feels too little. And that's why, for all its virtuoso effects, it never gets you by the throat and hangs on the way real horror should. That's an interesting thought, because I don't I, think it gets you by the throat. These are, like, these are all, that's like the core gripe that King seems to have had with it. I'm dying to read the book now. Yeah, well, we should. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, that's The Shining. Let's yeah. move on. So, so you really enjoyed it, though? I really enjoyed it. I feel like, um, like I said, the things I didn't touch on I agree with. So I feel like some parts of it haven't aged well. I think that the only strong characters are um, Jack Nicholson, and I think the hotel itself could be considered a character. Scatman Crowther's um, though, who plays, uh, I, he's I, a little played out. What does he really bring to the film? I mean, he brings a warmth and like a uh, he. He's he as a character is very important. I guess I wanted for what he represents. I also think that the uh, kid. The child actor was also actually quite good. I feel like he doesn't do much except for those couple scenes where he's really creepy. But, but he does. He, he's a conduit. I'll give you he that. He does do that well. Like, yeah. how could you expect a kid to do that yeah. well? Um, I totally agree. It seems like um, it seems like a film that was supposed to be emotions based, made by someone who is thought based. Yeah, that and that's said, very much Kubrick. And I would still be in like the. Eight something out of ten range it was very good. Yep, I think Classic. so too. And that's why we need to we need to sit down and watch two thousand one because that's yeah. like Kubrick doing Kubrick, you know, not Kubrick doing Kit. Next up, Cleopatra, an album by the Lumineers. Who goes now? You go. Otherwise, they hear me talk too much. That's right. Okay, so I will read, which is too bad because I have some really good openers on this. But I'll just wait. Cleopatra is the second. Do you know that yeah, studio we album? Discussed that. That's right. <laughs> Whoa. Cleopatra is the second studio album by American indie folk band The Lumineers. The album was released in the United States April eighth, twenty sixteen, and contains the sing. Singles. Contains the singles Ophelia, Cleopatra, and Angela. The album received positive reviews and commercial success, debuting at number one on the UK Albums Chart and the Billboard two hundred. The cover is a photograph of actress Theda Barra. Hmm. Um, there is like literally no other information on Wikipedia, which is slightly. It received positive reviews. So this probably it so... says it received positive reviews, but Metacritic average is sixty-seven. That is not. Pop even... Matters gave it sixty, saying if the Lumineers' debut re record was a represent representation of their metaphorical 
college years, Cleopatra is definitely their more mature but confused post-grad understanding of fame. <laughs> <laughs> That's a little savage. Um, okay, so start off by saying this is not necessarily a genre of music that I'm a fan of. This kind of like new folk. Americana, wave. folk rock, indie folk. Are Ex- the indie folk. Yeah. Indie folk. Those two words together are literally all you need to know about the genre this album is in. Indie, that's actually repulsive. That's (laughs) actually a genre. And it's kind of like legitimately upsetting me to look at that. So I'm going to close that. So uh, Lumineers, of course, you know, had a couple massive hits with like Hohei and all that. What was the other one off that album? Their first album. I only knew Hohei off the first album that I can think of. That was years ago that they put that album out as well. And I think that they've been touring a lot. I know that they opened for U2 quite a bit. but um, So, indie folk. Very jangly, chordy guitars. Uh, you know, lyrics about girls who live far away. With names like Cleopatra and Ophelia. Yeah. A lot of stomping, a lot of reverb, a lot of hand clapping. A lot of very high-pitched singing. Um, so my central struggle with the idea of the Lumineers and not even their music itself is genre. Have you ever listened to the Sheepdogs? Um, maybe only a couple songs, not enough to talk about them. Okay. So the Sheepdogs are a band from, I think out East Canada, Maritimes. And they won some big battle of the bands, like a huge Molson, I think. I could be completely wrong. And they kind of achieved fame that way and got a kickstart to their career. Great musicians, good for them. However, I cannot become enthusiastic in their music just because of the fact that it is so... It's so derivative, not from any one particular artist, which, you know, is could be better or worse, but just it's a standing pool of water into which every every predecessor in one genre has run. Does that make sense? Yeah. They've soaked up everything from one genre. It's like blues musicians now. Blues musicians back in the day, Buddy Guy, you know, B.B. King, uh, who am I missing? Who am I missing? Come on. Muddy Waters. Th- those guys it. were those guys legitimately had their own voice and were doing things their own way and playing the blues in their own way and now blues artists literally like joe bonamassa just sounds like bb king mixed with watered down eric clapton yeah this is the problem that i have with a band like the lumineers is that they're trapped in a genre and it's not just a genre like alternative rock which is deep and wide it's a genre of indie folk which is narrow and shallow and there's just not a lot that they seem to allow themselves to do in terms of song construction, in terms of just musicality, any of that. There just doesn't seem to be, like, th- their rule book is must be dense, you know? Yeah. Uh, that being said, a lot of this album did work for me uh, in terms of just the songwriting of it. And let's be clear, that is what you're coming to this album for. You are not coming for musicality. You're not coming for conceptuality. You're What you're coming for is a song to listen to, you know, when it's nighttime and you're missing that, that person who, you know, you just wish you could be with, but she's, she's on the other side of the world, man. You know, it's, and you remember that day when she got on the train and, the train Ophelia, pulled, pulled away. Was it Cleopatra? Maybe and, it was Angela. And I don't you're, know. you're standing there with your plaid flannel on and your beard brushing your nipples, and <laughs> you're just so so sad. <laughs> I just but, love taking a comb to your nipples. But so. you're but you will you'll wait for her because that's how much of a doormat you are. Like that that's basically the album. That's their songs and uh, my standout tracks are Gale song which is a really, it crept up on me, and just, like, it, 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 it's a bit of a common denominator song, you know, it's, you know, you'll be back in spring, I can wait till then, and then all, like, lyrics like that, 
but it, it it you know it flies directly to the center of emotion you know and and it does resonate and it does work and then angela which you know i think this i think is like an absolutely phenomenal song like absolutely fantastic better than anything else i've heard that they uh have written and like really works on that level of like um of singer-songwriter. Now, none of this stuff, though, is really folky. It's all very contrived folk, you know? Um, there's... Folk music is writing, you know, politically. It's writing about where you're from. Bright it's eyes. Writing about... Yeah, exactly. Like, what you've seen. It's telling stories. This is very watered-down, very... And there's... Uh, there are theories circulating, um, and well, no, they're not theories. The album is supposed to be loosely conceptual. I don't know if you know that. I'm pretty sure Angela you can only write one song over and over again. <laughs> Angela, Cleopatra, and Ophelia are all interwoven. If you watch the music videos, you see the characters kind of interweaving and crossing paths and that sort of thing. And you know that's all well and good if you're Pink Floyd. But if you're a folk band, that's not going to get you a lot of brownie points with me, to be honest. Uh, but what's the differentiation? Why are you just so much harder on them just because they're a folk band? Because that's not, like, necessarily the... Uh, the. That's not something that will make a folk album substantially better, is saying, oh, by the way, these three songs are connected. I guess, but, like, you talk about how normal and watered down they are, and then they do this differently, and you're like, well, that doesn't But it's not that... Uh, like, here's my opinion. If you have to watch the music videos to know that it's a concept album, it's not a concept album. They're concept music videos. Well, that's a valid thing, though, to be like, hey, we made this music video. They add a layer to the yeah, song. Yeah, I mean, I have no way to know if that was, yeah. like, their intent or not. The album is complete without them, but it also opens up more discussion if you do watch and enjoy them. Yeah, and I mean, it's just, a, it's a very simple, yeah, slightly meaningless story with no real beginning or end. Yeah, uh, from what I could tell, it's um, supposed to be widely identifiable by a large group of people. Yeah, and that's that's the thing as well. Like, is that then conceptual? I mean, I suppose, but it's like, relatable. It's which not is similar, but not the same thing. The, and it seems like they've haven't tried very hard to tell anything yeah. specific here. Uh, I'm really not a fan of the title track, Cleo Cleopatra. Really? Um, or maybe I'm thinking of Ophelia. Because I really Ophelia. don't like Ophelia. But I don't think I'm... Yeah, I don't think that I like Cleopatra that much either. Yeah. And I really hated Gun Song. Which one is that? Well, we can play a yeah. snippet. Uh... So overall, would you say you're positive or like lukewarm or what? Because you're all over the place, which is I fine, know. But... These are my thoughts. Really? It leans so hard on the dun 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 And he just sings along to the melody and then he just goes, Oh, you know what we're gonna do now? Okay, that actually does drive me up the wall. Okay, It's just like can you just hop on and off the beat like a little bit or just not be so white? Like I can I can literally hear the hair growing through his skinny jeans. <laughs> when they do stuff like that but for the song angela alone that that song is worth the price of the entire album to me i mean i, I know no is this what you said about uh, i know that's i feel like that's all i'm saying now like, what did you say for what was the last one you did there's another album recently and you're like for maybe it was was it jamiroquai or something there's like one no, song where you're like but i know that's i feel like that's what i've been saying lately but i do you know Seriously, before you know, um, you're gonna be like, I'm so, more of a song guy. Some of the shuffle, I'm really not. Some some of the songs. Another problem I have with the songwriting. Some of the songs just seem to like end. Yeah, and they don't have like real like it's just it doesn't resolve, uh, and it's just it's just uh, yeah. We didn't really think about what yeah. to do from here, so it's kind of over, and that really bothers me. Just because I'm like, come on, like you're writing songs, feel when it's supposed to end. I don't care if the song's two minutes or ten minutes. Uh, I. I think I think some of the songs are stronger than they actually seem seemed to me upon listening. But Angela is just such a good song that the rest of them actually seem somewhat shabby in comparison. That's a curse that a lot of great bands have had to deal with. I don't think the Lumineers are uh, a great band. One thing 
that would make them maybe a bit of a great band. What I feel like this, the Lumineers could greatly benefit from is a Jimmy Page. What a band like this, what would <laughs> elevate them? Is there a them? band alive that wouldn't benefit from a Jimmy Page? What would really elevate a band like this, though, and you, you can please agree or disagree with me when I say this, it would be an amazing guitarist. Like somebody yeah, who's just tasteful and, but who's still kind of flashy. That's like, why you're listening to Dire Straits. It's like a good band, but they have a great guitarist. Yeah, like, uh, but I guess it's different for this. This is radio music. This is a different day and age when that kind of guitar playing is not crucial. widely proliferated. Yeah. Or like even sought after. I just think that it would add so much to a lot of these songs. So overall, overall the jangly chord foot stompy thing, I can I can get down with it for an album for a couple of listens. I listened to it quite a lot, and uh, at no point was I like really aggressively angry except for during Gun Song with the super what? irritating. Yeah, <sighs> um. But honestly, Angela, just <laughs> that Gale song, both of those songs are like absolutely phenomenal, and the rest of it feels like they didn't try very hard. Is that it? Yep. Okay. Let me start by discussing the central problem of the idea of the band of the Lumineers. What? The, <laughs> you just plagiarized me as I was going, or what? Yeah. <laughs> when I first... What, like I had heard of them before, but when I was first really introduced to the Lumineers was this spring at the Christian Youth Event Pitch and Praise. And how I was introduced to them was the Battle of the Bands we went to because we didn't really feel like going to anything, I guess, that was like more instructional. And we kind of just wanted to make fun of people. Um, and we had Craig with us, so we could do that with impunity. Um, and like two-thirds of the entrance just were like, yeah, this is my cover of Cleopatra, or this is my cover of Angela. And they were they just... all covering stuff? Almost all of them. Not all of them, but most of them. Where I, where my band played? No, the big stage, the Battle oh, of the I see. Like the, okay. or the talent show, not the Battle of the Ta- Okay, thanks for uh, saying that incorrectly. And after that, and after listening to this album now, I realized that the Lumineers are living the hipster dream because every bearded man with a fancy hat wants to stomp his hands to the Telecaster and spank his tambourine. Stomp his hands to the um, Telecaster? And he wants to sing about driving down the highway in an old Volvo. <laughs> but at the same time, like... Oh, look at that ring. Never have I been so unhappy to like something. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to hate this album so much going into it. I was like, I'm going to hate it. I really did too, yeah. It. I'm so excited to have a review where I can just tear it apart and just hate it. Cause I be did you ruthless. see my Facebook post too? Yeah, yeah. Where oh. I said I really want to hate the Lumineers, but this oh, song is no, amazing. And why did you oh, say no? I did see. Yeah, I saw that. Then... See, check if I liked it. <laughs> I think I saw it. Um, I think the album is formulaic, but at the same time, I'm gonna use this for the boy. Song. Is it ever? I'm going to use this for the second time this album, this very specific phrase. It is a tour de force in how to make a clappy foot-stomping album where, like, the guitarist changes his own strings but never cuts the bits off the headstock. So it's just all, you know, that's the kind of band this Did is. Did you watch any live performances? No. You should I see didn't. the guitar that the... We're reviewing the album, plays. not the band. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That's um, good. But was his guitar like that? Uh, no, his string ends were neatly clipped, but uh, he was playing like some ancient uh, semi-hollow of no discernible maker model with like only a neck pickup. Mm, yeah, which I mean sounded fine and like good for him, but it was completely what I expected. Now, a brief it. intermission while we see if I like this post. Uh, this is gonna take. Quite you some post time. so much. Not really. Oh, I forgot about that vape thing. Um, and how we chewed in the intro. Yeah, well, I didn't forget about that. I want to hate the Lumineers. Do I like it? Probably not. You don't really support me? No. I think I do, yeah. That's not surprising. So, I think maybe the songs are a little bit too samey, and my kind of barometer for that was how many track names could I list <laughs> just without looking at them. Okay. I, listened to this, I listened to this album probably 20 times in the last few weeks, like almost every day. I listened to it 
more than most albums we reviewed because at the heart of it, I did enjoy it quite a bit. But yeah, I couldn't. There's most most of the songs you named that aren't some sort of weird woman's name like Ophelia or Cleopatra. I couldn't name, um, with the exception of Angela, which is obviously the standout track. But at the same time, I think the album does flow quite nicely. It has smooth transitions. And I like how over several tracks, it'll gradually transition from chill to, you know, like some finger snapping, floor thumping, rhythm grooving, Mumford frickin' good times. You I know? don't think that this album comes anywhere near Mumford and Sons, to be honest. No, I, I haven't listened to enough Mumford and Sons, but I just like the term Mumford frickin' good times. Okay. <laughs> sure. Yeah, it's great. Mumford and Sons is probably better. Fantastic. Um, I think that his songwriting is sort of predictable but also just like comfort food yeah and i think that it's you know not not really uh, impeded by a lack of creativity like i don't think everyone needs to be what <laughs> so on the page for angela the lumineers song the lumineers have said that the song angela is about quote a small town beauty struggling to escape her past <laughs> uh and the name the Lumineers also mentioned how the name Angela comes from lead singer Wesley Schultz's ex-girlfriend, Am- Amber... A- Angela! <laughs> wow. Angela Hen- Hennard, noting, although we didn't work out, she still holds a place in my heart. That's why she's brought up yeah. on multiple songs. Wow. So it's... Wow. That's deep, man. A small town... I just liked... It's about a, a small, small town, town beauty struggling to, to escape, escape her past. past. Oh, gee. <laughs> But I think, um, I think Angela and actually I think Cleopatra too are these really beautiful songs that really have that, uh, sort of groove folk down to a science where like you have that nice even guitar like that. Okay. It's getting late. We got to put this to bed. Yeah, man. It's um, quarter after nine I out know. here. But I think that what I learned from listening to this album <laughs> is that sometimes you don't need to reinvent the wheel. <clears throat> Bless you. This album is full of not necessarily faults, but just unexceptional uh, qualities. Like it's a bowl of cornflakes. Like <laughs> what? What was your favorite uh, moment with the bass? What was your favorite moment with the drums? Well, they don't really have a drummer. What was your favorite moment with the tambourines? Oh wait, the whole <laughs> album was tambourines. If you took the tambourines out of this album, it would be acapella. Their their Jimmy Page is actually on tambourine. Yeah, no kidding. And I think that the whole foot stomping and hand clapping is a little bit overdone. Even and though then, that's and then on, put on this album, honky tonk piano, as well, which was good. Which was good. Um, so instrumentation, I would say, was not a standout. I think writing was kind of what I wanted. Like it wasn't it, the instrumentation wasn't so much stand out. It was as it was stand in. Yeah, exactly. Bang. And I think, but I have to give them credit. Like, it's good music to listen to while you drive. It's good music to listen to while you work. Like, I can see, I could see like a lot of uh, of teenage people crying over yeah over predictable breakups to this. But at the same time, I feel like it just. Is quality like what can I say? It's not, it's not exceptional, but it's not horrible. It's, it's certainly, certainly certainly better than City in Color. Yeah, it is it, very much so. It's probably I would say on a similar level to Omar Rodriguez Lopez, even though it's significantly less creative. I feel like it's also a little bit more. If refined. if I could choose to have one put into the fire forever, it would be this album. No no contest. Just because Omar Rodriguez Lopez is at least like second like he's that that was an interesting album and it was thick. It's my alarm in the morning. Is it? Yeah, that's cool. Uh, yeah. So I would say overall this would be like a seven out of ten for me. I think if you like this sort of music, you should absolutely listen to it. Um, I think it's really not very hateable, and that might be its kind of greatest downfall it it is very it in in stretches it gets really bland doesn't it mm-hmm. and i feel i also found that uh the lead singer's voice wore on me a little bit just because he only ever sings in the one register like <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah that was really but 
the biggest compliment I can give it to those of you who know my opinions, I can be a little bit opinionated. And I went to this album and I really wanted to hate it. And the fact that I came out the other side, put it through the ringer, and would say I actively enjoy it is a great compliment. You know? It took quite a bit for yeah. me to not hate it. And I mean, me, me too. Uh, and it would probably have been in my honorable mentions for album of the year last year had I known about it. It wouldn't have been for It me. wouldn't have been in my top like, three, but it would have been in honorable mentions. Like I said, there are two exceptional songs on the album, three max. The rest of it is pretty much filler yeah. for me, and uh, but it's not filler that is completely devoid of enjoyment. Speaking of filler, what are we what, talking what about next time? What are we filling next week? We were talking about the Arcade Fire album, which has released maybe like a month ago. No, a couple weeks. A couple weeks ago, which is entitled Everything Now. Is entitled and titled the same thing? No, no, because you can be entitled to something, but you're not titled. But can I say the album is entitled Everything Now? I think so. No, just say titled. Okay. The album titled Everything Now. And what else are we talking about? I have ideas. Dunkirk? You... Yeah, why not? <laughs> We're going to see Dunkirk in a couple days. Yeah. Um, better late than never. Yeah, so we'll... Uh, two, two nice, fresh, new, shiny things, sort of. That, as uh, per usual, we're slightly behind the curve on, but that's eh. just how we do. You know, we yeah. digest. I, it, I these the reviews that you see of albums and stuff or movies like the day after they came out always just rankles me so much because it doesn't sit long. You enough. can't think about it that like think about it. Take but some it's time. The needle drop. He knows what he's talking about. I know. About. Anthony Fantano, piece <laughs> of. <laughs> Uh, well, Shout not, out to not anybody with the needle drop. <laughs> yeah, he just thinks he's a lot funnier than he is. He thinks he's iDubs. But then again, so do we. Oh, 100%. Yeah, but like the difference is okay. we're actually funny. So I was talking to uh, Spencer and Dav. Shout out to Spencer and Dav. Yeah, hey guys, thanks for listening. listening to the show. About iDubs and Filthy Frank. Okay. They love iDubs. Had to stop watching Filthy Frank because they didn't like it. I was like, I feel like iDubs has, or I feel like Filthy Frank's been more consistent than iDubs, even though iDubs is on the upswing, and Filthy Swank. <laughs> filthy Swank! <laughs> That's what they call me. <laughs> I'm not even going to finish what I was saying, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's over. After Filthy Swank, I'm out of here. Alright everybody, that thank was from you, High School Thank Bacon. you so much for Filthy listening. Swag. Please feel free to like, share, subscribe, and donate blood. Uh, tune in next time when we talk about Everything Now by Arcade Fire and Dunkirk by Christopher Nolan and Harry Styles' face. Oh, I want to see Harry Styles' acting debut. You're gonna. That's the quit. Method Quayla.